Are we alone? That's a question people have been asking for probably as long as we've been gazing up at the night sky. And in modern times, our fascination with the possibility of extraterrestrial life has focused on one place in particular, Mars. Ancient Mars was a very different place. There may have been a gigantic ocean, impacts, no meteorites impacting the surface all over the place. That was the type of environment that we think life got started in. That's Dr. Jen Eigenbrode, a NASA astrobiologist. Earlier this month in the journal Science, Jen and her team published a stunning discovery. For scientists, it offers a very big clue in the search to find out the truth about life on Mars. From PRX, this is Orbital Path, a show about the cosmos and our place in it. I'm Michelle Thalman. Now, what Jen Eigenbrode and her colleagues at NASA found was not a crashed flying saucer. They did not communicate over the internet with intelligent squid-like aliens. Nobody was abducted by Martians. None of that. What NASA did discover was this, organic molecules on the planet Mars in an arid, dusty place known as Gale Crater. There, NASA's Curiosity rover found and analyzed compounds that are often described as the building blocks of life. It's a remarkable story. To begin to understand what it really means that organic molecules exist on Mars, I asked Dr. Eigenbrode to take us back to when she and her NASA colleagues were trying to decide just where on the planet to try to ultimately land Curiosity in 2012. When we started, we were trying to figure out where we wanted to land the rover. There was a couple different options there, but we were really going after places where we knew that there was water. You know, this theme of follow the water, now we're going to look for habitability. Mm -hmm. That was kind of what we were after. And Gale Crater was one of those places where we just had a hunch. There were, there were things that gave us clues that, hey, there may have been a lake here. There was, uh, there was strata, for example. There were layers in the rock. You could see that all the way from orbit, right? That's right. We could see it from orbit, and there were minerals that are associated with the, that strata. So the strata is la essentially layers of rock, and you can see how the landforms on the surface change because of those layers. And then because of the instruments that were in the orbiters, we could also tell that the minerals were changing with those layers. And all of that is a good indication of rocks being deposited, sediments being laid down in a flat manner, and lakes do that. So we were thinking that, hey, maybe there's a lake here. But we honestly didn't know until we got there. A lot of people have seen that video, Seven Minutes of Terror, where you talk about all the different steps that needed to happen to actually get this thing safely on the Martian ground. The first time I saw that video, the video was made before we safely landed. And I watched the video, and I was like, oh, hell. <laughs> I was like, that, that, that looks impossible. Because, I mean, everything has to go exactly right. You know, you, you come streaming through the atmosphere, you know, thousands of miles an hour, and then you've got to get yourself to the perfect stop. There was this, this, this crane that actually lowered the rover to the surface of Mars. The crane is on rockets. I mean, it was just incredible. And, and, and I remember, I'm sure you remember too, I mean, that's an unforgettable night of my life, the night that Curiosity oh. landed. Oh my gosh. Where, so, where, where were you? Okay, right. So I was, um, so everybody, you saw the video of, of the people who are responsible for the landing and you saw what the tension was like in that room. 
it was about 10 times greater in the room I was in, which was the room of scientists. Some of these people have spent the last 15 years trying to make this rover happen. And it all came down to this moment. And the tension in the room was so thick. I mean, as we got closer and closer, people didn't know what to do with themselves. You know, could they sit? They couldn't stand. They couldn't, they couldn't keep themselves still. They were moving around. One person was pulling their hair out. Um, like, I had to knock them. Stop it. Stop it. You're going to want that someday. <laughs> you know? um, it, was, it was intense. I mean, I, I do um, extreme sports. Adrenaline. I'm a, can do, you know, source of adrenaline junkie type sports, right? right? Nothing I have ever done compares to what that moment was like waiting for the road to land. And, and then it lands, right? And we get this word, okay, it landed. And you see everybody in the, in the landing, you know, the engineers, they're all like running, jumping up and down, hugging each other. And the scientists were dead quiet because it wasn't enough. It could have crashed. Is it functional? You know, we didn't know. And then the first picture came back. We're all scratching our head. What are we looking at? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we went from this moment of in, in, in incredible intensity to being very puzzled and, and still not knowing the answer. And then Ken Edgett jumps up and points at it and he's like, that's the wheel. We landed on wheels. And that moment, I mean, the uproar in that room was amazing. And all of a sudden, we're like, we, everyone realized we're on Mars. We're really there. We're going to do this. That was August 6, 2012. But the successful landing of Curiosity on Mars was just the start. Then the scientific work had to begin. You're working with uh, an instrument that's actually on the Mars rover right now, the Curiosity rover, and that's the Sample Analysis at Mars instrument, SAM. SAM, yeah, yeah that's, right. that's right. And it's about the size of a microwave oven. You know, it's inside the belly of this rover, and it's actually going to ingest the material. Just describe to me how, how SAM works. Okay, so um, SAM can do two different things. One is it can take in a solid sample in the form of a rock powder, and then it can analyze that. And it can also um, sniff the air. So we can understand the chemistry of the atmosphere. I think the mo one of the most exciting ones when we first scooped some sediment from the surface. So this is like a wind-blown material. Um, we've learned after the fact, after we investigated, that it probably had been blown and laid in place a long time ago and it had been stable in that location. And so we, when we scooped it, it was like crusty. And we scooped it up and we, and we put it in the top of sand, which is the top of the rover. Um, and there's a funnel that the sample goes in and it shakes it and it sieves out the coarse stuff and the fine stuff goes down this tube and into a cup. That cup goes into an oven and we heat up that sample then. And as the gases come off of the sample, they get sniffed by a mass spectrometer, which allows us to analyze the composition of the bulk gas as we heat it. And that's important because the temperature at which the gases come off can tell us a lot about what we're looking at. And then the other thing that happens is the rest of the gas gets sent off to a trap where we pretty much filter out all the stuff we don't want. We, we trap the stuff we do want. And then we send that off into what's called a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. The gas chromatograph is this super long tube. It's uh, got a inside, the diameter inside it is about the width of a hair. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very, very small, um, and there's some chemistry going on inside that tube, but, but essentially what it does is it separates 
the molecules, the organic molecules in particular. And we can analyze each molecule as it goes into the mass spectrometer. And that tells us more specifically about what type of organic compounds are there. Are there organic molecules around? So when you say organic molecules, a lot of people, when they hear that term, they associate it with, with life. So, so to define what is an organic molecule and, and what is it and what is it not <laughs> having to do with life? Yeah, on Earth, we do associate organic molecules with life because life is everywhere on Earth. All of life that we know as organic molecules. Um, there are organic molecules that are not life-based. Think about the plastic that we have you know, throughout our homes. That's not life-based. There are meteorites that come down. That's not life-based. But there are other organic molecules. And I mean, we're familiar with different types of chemistry because of the food we eat. But to a chemist, organic molecules are a certain type of structure made of carbon. And that's what we were interested in on Mars. It wasn't so much about the life question. I mean, that's the ultimate holy grail question. But we have to get there in steps. The first step was follow the water. Is there water on Mars? Second step is... Are there ancient environments that tell us about whether or not life could have lived there? And part of that is, where's the organic carbon? You know, so much has changed on Earth in, in, in three billion years. And on Mars, less has changed. And we actually might have a preservation of the moment life started somewhere. You know, I've, I've worked on ancient rocks on Earth. And it is really, really tough because there's so many processes still affecting those modern rocks. And on Mars, it, it just seems like everything just stopped, I know. And it, it's, it's an ancient landscape. One of the oldest environments that we have on Earth is the Atacama Desert, and it's only about one to two million years old. Now on Mars, those rocks may have been sitting there for hundreds of millions of years. It's that old. Ancient Mars was a very different place. It had hydrothermal vents. There may have been a gigantic ocean. Impacts. You know, we had meteorites impacting the surface all over the place. That was the type of environment that we think life got started in. And then, at some point, the molten rock in the interior of the planet stopped moving so much. And that meant everything for Mars. It didn't happen on Earth, but it did happen on Mars. And that was a turning point. That's what makes Mars different than Earth. Genevieve here, back at Planet PRX. If you're enjoying this episode on the possibilities of life on Mars, I wanted to let you know about another podcast you may love. This one is from the National Air and Space Museum and PRX. It's called Airspace. The podcast captures everything from the thrill of living in space to bailing out of a jet to nerdy stuff like the anniversary of 2001, A Space Odyssey. And there's even more about life on Mars and elsewhere in our little corner of the universe. Join us. Subscribe to Airspace. Now back to Michelle Fowler and Orbital Path. So Earth today has a really active molten core, and all that movement at the core generates the Earth's magnetic field. Mars used to have the same thing until the molten rock inside the planet stopped moving around. When that happened, the magnetic field was lost. The magnetic field is sort of this 
invisible protection around the planet. And the solar wind, all of these particles with lots of energy that are really damaging to life, that stuff gets deflected. And it protects the surface from that radiation. The moment that magnetic field was lost, the surface got exposed to radiation and all that energy, and the atmosphere started getting blown away. The surface environment today is so harsh, and it's so, such a stark contrast compared to what we think Mars used to be. Why did this not happen on Earth? Why did it happen on Mars? What does it mean for life? We want to understand that. So let's go to that you know, moment in Gale Crater, right? We've safely landed the rover, the rover's on wheels, right? It's time now to start actually sampling the Martian soil. And the way that uh, you start getting at it is we actually drill a little bit, not very far, but a little bit into the Martian soil. So tell me about the first drill hole. So our first drill hole was into a rock that we felt pretty confident was actually lake sediment. We're looking at the geology, and the geology is telling us, hey, there's every indication that there had been an ancient lake here, you know, three and a half billion years ago. Wow. Okay, so what's left in that rock? So we drill down five centimeters. And when we first saw the pictures, I think everybody in the room was just sort of, wow. We all had this expectation that the rock powder was going to be red because the surface of all of Mars is red. It's rust, rusty red iron. And that drill hole material was this brownish gray, you know, it was dark gray. That was the moment, at least for me, when I realized that our whole perception of Mars was fooled by the dusty red surface. It's, but, but it's really, very far. it doesn't, and you know, the planet is a dark gray planet. It's just covered in rusty dust. But that's not what the planet is really about. It's, it's really something completely different underneath, and it's been hidden from us for all this time. So we analyzed the, the, the sample, and um, we got our first indication of some organic molecules that could be Martian. But they were chlorinated. So we have these carbon structures that have chlorine attached to them. We don't find that on Earth in natural environments. Uh, we don't find those in natural samples. Something else is going on here. Huh. It was an important discovery. It was the first time we had come across organic molecules that most of us felt pretty certain were coming from Mars. But, uh, we, but we had some questions about that, and, and we, we didn't know what it really meant in the big picture. So we kept looking. So we went from Yellowknife Bay, which is where we did our first drilling, and then we drove about four and a half miles to a place called Pahrump Hills in the middle of Gale Crater. There's this gigantic mountain. Well, we're at the very base of that. And then we drilled again, and there's more dark gray drill powder, you know, it, it, this rock powder. Okay, this is good. <laughs> this is good news, right? You know, initially, you, you see some things and, and you're not so sure what it is you're looking at. You know, there's a lot of uh, signal um, in there mixed in with noise in the data. Noise has to be parsed away. And then there's also some background signals in the SAM instrument. Those are organic materials that we brought with us intentionally to conduct some of our experiments. And uh, they stick around in the background and we had to understand that. 
And uh, so even though we had gotten data back in the winter of 2014-15, it's taken years for us to sort through that and actually pull out the signals of interest. And there are organic molecules in there. So tell, take us through this latest discovery. So imagine long time ago, ancient lake. It was probably tens to hundreds of meters deep. And uh, these sediments were being deposited at the bottom of the lake. And we found organic molecules in the gases that came off of the sample when we heated it. Now, when we use the gas chromatograph mass spectrometer, it allows us to look at individual molecules, and we found things called thiophenes. Thiophenes are carbon structures that have sulfur in them. Oh, that was really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's what's like, cool about that? Yeah. Sulfur is really important for preserving organic molecules. And we know this from Earth. Most of the oil in, in, that we have around on Earth is still preserved because of sulfur. Sulfur links organic molecules together early on in the process when we bury it, and, and that actually helps preserve it over geological time. Low sulfur coal, high sulfur That's coal, right. different grades of coal have different amounts of sulfur in them. That's right, and that sulfur actually is the reason why the coal sticks around for so long. I know in, in industrial processes, we use sulfur to make rubber. Goodyear patented the vulcanization process and made car tires <laughs> back in the 1800s, you know, and that process was essentially add sulfur and, and you make something really tough like the car tire rubber. The same type of a process happens naturally in sediments and in the rocks. And so anyway, finding thiophenes on Mars was this big clue of, hey, sulfur is important in preserving organic molecules. But there was more to it than that. I told you that there's this, this, this the initial experiment where we just sniff the gases as they come off. Well, the signals that we were looking at are coming off at high temperatures. This is like over 900 degrees Fahrenheit. And that means they're bonded to something really strongly, right? That's right. I mean, in order to, when you heat something up, you're adding energy to it. You have to add enough energy to break the bonds in order to release a gas. So if it takes the energy from 900 degrees Fahrenheit to break the bonds, that organic material is really, really stuck in there. It's tough. That's telling us that it was so tough that it stuck around for billions of years on Mars. Even at the surface, where we have all this radiation coming down. So it's organic material. It has sulfur in it, and it's probably this large macromolecule stuff. It's like having a whole bunch of small little molecules glued together with chemical bonds into something gigantic. You think of coal, you think of soot, that's what's in these rocks. So you're talking about the fact that we, we have evidence that there are big molecules, big organic molecules. And you mean, you, you've used words like things we find in coal, soot. I mean, I mean all of these things are, are, are things that are, are processes that were once linked to life. But there's other ways you could get this besides life as well, right? So it's possible that the organic matter that we found in these ancient lake sediments is from an ancient Martian life. It is one of the possibilities. But the presence of it alone, the detection of it, is not evidence of life. And the reason is there are other ways of making organic molecules of that sort. And we find them in meteorites that come from the solar system. We also find them in geological processes that can actually make this type of stuff. So therefore, we don't know what that organic matter is from. So the organic discovery is very important step forward in the search for life on Mars. 
but it is not evidence of life on Mars. However, I have got a colleague who described the finding of organic matter using an analogy to gold. We want to look for signatures of life left behind in the sediments. But where do you go look? You're talking about another planet that's very different from Earth. Where do you go look? You don't go looking for gold in your backyard. You go study the geology and you look for things like quartz veins, places where you would expect to find the gold. Finding the organic matter on Mars in Gale Crater was like finding the vein. Now we know where to go look. Now you know where to look for gold, right? So what, what comes next? One of the troubling things about the search for organic material on Mars is that the surface environment is so harsh that it, organic material is not really expected to survive very long. There's all this radiation coming down and the radiation breaks bonds. It produces free radicals. It produces oxidants. And all of that chemistry will destroy organics. There were a lot of people at the start of the Mars Science Laboratory mission who didn't think we were going to find organics. But it, it, it was really, a, there was a lot of hope. <laughs> but now we have data that tells us about it. And if life ever existed on Mars, did it find refuge in the subsurface and in places like caves? And is it there today? These are the types of questions that we can actually think about addressing in future missions. We finally are ready to take that step forward. You know, is there a modern day life? There are two more missions that are already being developed. One of them is from the European Space Agency. It's called ExoMars rover. And the ExoMars rover is actually going to drill down two meters. To me, this is really exciting. <laughs> I'm very excited because the ExoMars rover is going to go deep, which means that it can look at that material at the surface that's been altered by all that radiation. And then it can look at the stuff that's deeper down that hasn't been touched by that radiation. That's the type of information we need to understand. Is it from meteorites or geology, life, or a combination? So you have found organics in the rocks on Mars. And, you know, one of the things that is sort of an imaginative uh, use of these in the, in, the, in the future is that there may be people living and working on Mars. And one of the things they could possibly do is farm. I mean, how, how does this affect that? Right, right. So if we farm, anywhere we farm, the, the material that the plants um, grow from, whether it's water or um, soil of some sort, it needs to have nutrients and organics in it. That's what the plants need to persist. And so perhaps there's a way of using the organics in ancient rocks as a resource. But perhaps even more important is figuring out if there's life on Mars, like a modern day type life. And we need to do that before we send the humans. Because if there is life on Mars, is it like an Earth biochemistry or is it completely different? What's that interaction going to be like? Is it helpful or harmful? How? If we farm, microbes in soil and in water are really important for the plants. Do we need to have Martian microbes there to help plants grow? Big question. Don't know. 
the questions go on and on and on about what the implications of of a Martian life form, a modern day one, is, and it's all going to be speculative until we learn more. From my perspective, when it comes to exploring Mars, number one question is, has there ever been life on Mars? It doesn't matter if it's the if you're addressing the ancient life on Mars or the modern life. It's just a, a simple question: Has there ever been life on Mars? You're you're a relatively young scientist. I mean, in the course of your career, I mean, a real possibility. You know, sometime in the next you know 10, 15 years, we really could have proof that life either existed a long time ago or that it's still there. That change, that huge shift in the question: Are we alone? Could actually be answered in our professional careers. Yeah, it, it could. But I'll tell you what: when you work on another planet, what you think you're going to find is often wrong, but you find something different. And Mars is full of surprises. Yes, we're ultimately interested in the search for life on Mars and if life has ever existed on Mars. But even if it hasn't, there's this amazing story of well, what does that mean? For life in our solar system, and if it didn't ever exist on Mars, why not? Why did it exist on Earth? I mean, you look at the two planets today, and you got dry red planet doesn't seem like it's doing much, and then you've got Earth, which has this incredible dynamic atmosphere, ocean, geology, and to think that four billion years ago the two planets may have been very similar, and that life could have gotten started on Earth and on Mars. What happened? Dr. Jen Eigenbrod. She's an astrobiologist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. She's the lead author of an article in Science titled "Organic Matter Preserved in Three Billion-Year-Old Mudstones at Gale Crater, Mars." For so long, we've looked up at Mars in the sky and wondered if it was alive or dead. Could life ever have existed there? Is there life there today? And one of the big questions is: Is the universe full of life, or is life actually rare? We now know that Mars had every chance to get life started. It had a, a warm climate, very much like the Earth. There was plenty of liquid water, a thick atmosphere, and the building blocks of life, these organic molecules, were there. They've been there for billions of years. So, if life started here on Earth, about three and a half billion years ago, it could have started on Mars at exactly the same time. So there's a deep question here to be answered on Mars: Is life common or is life rare? Does life start pretty much anywhere the right conditions exist, or does something else have to happen? Something that's almost vanishingly unlikely. Almost every star in the sky has a planetary system of its own. I think if we find life on Mars, we'll realize that it's relatively easy to get life started, and that's going to change the way we look up into that starry sky. Thanks for listening in on this episode of Orbital Path from PRX. We'd love for you to check out more episodes at orbital.prx.org. Path is provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science, technology, and economic performance. More at Sloan.org. This episode of Orbital Path was produced by David Shulman. Our editor is Andrea Mustaine. 
Special thanks to John Barth and Tiffany Sponsler, shopping for organic tomatoes, back at PRX. Signing off for now, I'm Michelle Thaller, a little bit of dead stardust.